Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, everybody. It's Doc from the John Freaking Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. I love waking up in the morning, not knowing what's going to happen, or who I'm going to meet, where I'm going to wind up. Jack Dawson. So I just got back from a hike in the Grand Canyon, and I had to do some really big water carries, and so I was carrying a, uh... oh, well, I guess this is kind of a a two-in-one. First, I had to do an out and back to a water source and I camped where the water source was. And when I got there, I realized that one of my bottles had fallen out of my backpack and it was a liter and a half bottle, which was the, I think I had a 10 liter capacity cause I was carrying a gallon jug of water in my hand. So that was a pretty big, uh Oh, cause I had like a, a pretty big water carry across difficult terrain. And, uh, so I ended up filling up 
Ziploc bags that used to have food in them uh, with water at the water source, and then I put them inside of my sleeping bag's dry bag, and then I put that in the exterior pa- uh, pouch of my my backpack. Uh, ended up finding my water bottle walking back, which was good, um, and which was extra good because I ended up needing the extra water that I put in those Ziplocs. And then during that water carry, also I fell, and since I was holding a gallon jug of water in my hand, I like punched a cactus. With the gallon jug of water, and it sprung a leak, and it was like full. It was it was like full, almost four liters of water in this gallon jug, and I was like, I need this water, and I can't hike holding, you know, the hole up the whole time. So first, I tried duct taping it, couldn't get it to work, and then I ended up using a sleeping pad patch to patch the hole, and it worked great, and it held for the rest of the trip. I'm Doc. And this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back to another week on the trail with the John Freaking Muir Pod. I've got a real treat for our listeners who are planning their epic through hikes of the Pacific Crest Trail or Continental Divide Trail next season. This week, we have Mac from the website Halfway Anywhere with us on the pod. As you might know, Halfway Anywhere is the incredible website with all kinds of resources for planning your hikes of the PCT, CDT, and other hikes around the world. Welcome to the pod, Mac. Hey, how you doing? Very good. How you doing? Doing well. A little uh, excited, nervous about tomorrow, but you know. Yeah, that's right. Big night. Uh, big night tomorrow. Big day tomorrow. This yeah, is, so. we're, re- we're recording on November 2nd, so tomorrow is the, the election, the U.S. election. So. When, when people listen to this, they will be in a different world than we are in right now. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> Very good. Hey, Mac, I'm not sure if you've listened to the pod uh, before or not, but I want to give you some insight into one of our regular features, and that is the pro tip insight of the week. So at the end of the episode, I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to say, okay, all right, Mac, what is your pro tip insight of the week? What can you share with our listeners that is going to make their next adventure that much better, that much, uh, that much more epic? And it has to kind of spring from our conversation tonight. So you can't plan for it. It's just going to kind of... <laughs> 
come up through our, the, the free flow of conversation tonight. Oh, God, I'm going to be so distracted the whole time. It's so much pressure. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're going to have good conversation, and then it's going to come to you naturally. No, no pressure at all. Okay, okay. All right. So, hey, let's, let's get into uh, some, of, some of your background. What, uh, where'd you grow up? Big family? Did you have a, a lot of outdoor activities uh, growing up? How did you, how'd you come into this Halfway Anywhere website? I grew up in Southern California, suburbs north of Los Angeles. Uh, oh, wait, that's intriguing. Where, where, where about? Which suburb? Uh, Thousand Oaks. Okay. That's not too far from where I grew up. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, okay. Yeah. People always think that they're like, oh, Thousand Oaks, the valley. And I'm always like, no, no, it's not the valley. It's not. It's like just over the hill from the valley. But yeah, it's, being, it's, being from the valley, you know. <laughs> it's valley adjacent. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I had three younger siblings growing up, but outside of that, not really a big family, no cousins or extended family, really. And I really didn't do any outdoor things much as a child, honestly. I didn't go snowboarding until my, my first time till I was like 16. I was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts when I was really little, but that was more like my dad was like, you should do this. And I really didn't like it. And as soon as I was able to be like, I don't want to do this anymore, I was out of it. Um, so it really wasn't until 2013 and the first time I did the Pacific Crest Trail that I really began my, my outdoor career, as, as you could say. And so what, what brought you to the PCT? Because, you know, looking at your website and just the topics on it and the in-depth analysis that you have on there, I would have guessed that, you know, this was something that you just, you grew up in. This, is, this was your environment growing up and you just continued it on into, a, into adult life. What, what caused you to, to go from that background to saying, hey, I'm going to hike the PCT? Honestly, it was uh, and the, most, the most basic version of it is I had a limited amount of money that I had saved up. And I thought that doing a long distance hike would be a great way to make that money last for a long amount of time, basically to to do the most things I could take the longest time to do something without having to go and get another job and work again. So uh, a long distance through hike kind of checked a lot of those boxes, but uh, basically I was working in New York at a bar, saved up a bunch of money. And then at the end of the season, I met this older guy in like his sixties or seventies. And he was telling me about how he was going to hike the Appalachian trail, which I had kind of heard of. Like I knew like, Oh yeah, there's like a trail somewhere. And, I kind of asked him about it. He told me about it. And uh, I was just, I found it so cool that he was going to walk from Georgia to Maine. So I decided I was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. That's what I was going to do with, you know, the money that I had saved up that summer. And in my research back in California, I just happened to come across the Pacific Crest Trail. And I was like, there's one of these trails in California and it goes from Mexico to Canada. Like even better. I'm going to do that one instead. It's a little bit closer to you. It's got, exactly. a, it's got a few hundred extra miles, but it's a little bit closer. Yeah. So, I mean, that's basically why I decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail in the first place. It was, uh, I don't know, just, it sounded like a really cool thing to do. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And if that guy had never come into, uh, into your life and said that to you, you think your life would have been a little bit different? Oh yeah. I think 100% if it hadn't been for like this chance encounter with this guy and him telling me about the Appalachian trail, they're like, I have no idea what I'd be doing right now. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's so many people that I have talked to that have had moments like that where just a chance encounter or 
a random thought comes into their head and it changes the path of everything. Yeah, I mean, if you had asked me six months before I started the PCT what I was going to be doing in six months, I never in a thousand years would have said to you hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. So it was, you know, a lot of people, you know, hear about it, they plan about it forever and ever and ever. And I kind of was just jumped right into it, which, you know, can be good, can be bad, but it, it worked out because I'm, I'm happy with uh, where I am now. So, you know, so far so good. So before we move on to the, to the website, I, I want to hear, ask you some more questions about your PCT hike. Uh, how long did you prepare? How long did you have to prepare before starting that, that hike? I had around, I think it was probably like four months-ish that I had to prepare. I think I started like seriously trying to research it in maybe December. And then I started, I didn't start till May, which at the time I knew was late, but the friend who was responsible for me being on the East Coast and having met this guy who inspired me in the first place, his wedding was at the beginning of May and I couldn't miss his wedding to go and do this thing. So um, probably around four or five months is what I had to, to plan. And had you prior to the, to the hike done any overnight hiking before, any backpacking? not I mean I had done like a maybe a boy scout thing where you sleep in a tent with some people at like a camp when I was like 10 or something but in my you know adult life or as far as I can actually remember and tell you like no I had never been on a backpacking trip wow that is wild that is that's quite the leap from uh, a boy scout overnight to 2600 miles and how long were you on the trail how many months uh it was about five months like just under or just over and did you finish i had a very it's i say in normal conversation i say yes if you want to dive more deeply into it i say no because there's like 20 miles up near the border that i missed and then we went to canada and hiked south and then it was a i I have a couple miles to make up in washington but (laughs) As far as, as far as the world's concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I finished. Absolutely. I mean, the trail is 2,660 miles. And if you have, a, have 20 out there that you still have left to do, in my book, you have finished the trail. I mean, that is, that's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. And what did you learn about yourself on that 2,600-mile hike? Oh, God. I learned I, I really don't like hiking is, is one of the things that I learned. Um, I had a pretty miserable time for a lot of uh, the the first time I was on the Pacific Crest Trail. Basically, all of Oregon, all I did was complain and tell the guy I was hiking with that I'm getting off the trail as soon as we get to Washington. And um, I had some really low moments in the Sierra. I didn't have like a lot of friends on the trail early on. I didn't meet a lot of people. So, but like I said, you know, the alternative was I got to get off trail and go get a job. So you know, that, that kind of helped keep me going. <laughs> so a bad day of hiking is better than the best day at work. Is that what I'm hearing? I guess I've, I've, I've actually never put it that way, but uh, I, I guess you could say that. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't really like your job, you know, if you like your job, then, then great, you know, but true. Yeah, that could definitely uh, be true. And so when you finished the hike, I mean, was there something you realized, Hey, you know what, there's something missing for hikers who are planning these big hikes and is that where halfway anywhere came from or how did that all develop? Kind of like uh, I had started halfway anywhere originally when I uh, 
did a year studying abroad in Brazil and I just kind of wrote about Brazil and things that I thought were funny compared to the U.S. And then I just kind of kept writing about travels and my blogs. And for a while, I was like, I'm going to have a travel blog and be a travel blogger and it's going to be great. And then I decided to do the PCT and I was like, well, I guess I'll write about the PCT. And, uh, you know, it just kind of evolved from there. It was never um, like something I set out to make a hiking blog or something that I, um, even after the PCT that I was like, I'm going to create this website about hiking. It's only been recently that I've finally come to terms with the fact that I have a, a website about hiking and it's specifically about hiking. And when I write about other things, people are like, what are you writing about? I'm like, I don't know. Like my website, you know, and they're like, no, this is a hiking blog. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Nice. And so what, what I didn't, I don't think I asked you, what year did you do the PCT? Uh, 2013. 2013. That's right. And when did you start the half, half, uh, halfway anywhere? Uh, I first started blogging. It wasn't called halfway anywhere until I think 2012, but 2011 is when I started writing things on the internet. Got it. Writing things on the internet. That's yeah. And what, uh, what, what is the meaning of the title halfway anywhere? What was the inspiration for that? It kind of just came, well, one, it was a domain that was available while I was uh, trying to think of a name for my blog. And, and two, it was, it kind of came from the idea that I didn't really have some grand goal in mind for my life. Like, you know, eight years from now, I'm going to have finished, you know, med school and be a doctor. Or I'm going to do this. And so I kind of just felt like I was always, you know, in process of getting to the next place. It didn't really, didn't really matter where the next place was. So, you know, kind of halfway anywhere embodied that idea where it's just like, I'm just always moving towards whatever's next kind of thing. Nice. Like you're always moving towards the next campsite out there on the trail. It's a, it's very, very uh, appropriate. Exactly. And do you have any merchandise? Because that that is a if if you don't mind my saying that's a, that's a, a badass title. Halfway, I anywhere. don't I I don't have any merchandise. And oh. I used to because people said to me like, "Oh, you should do merchandise," and so I was like, "Fine, I'll do merchandise." And then I started doing it, and then nobody bought any merchandise. And I was like, <laughs> what, "What am I doing? Like maintaining this section of my website with merchandise? Like, it was more trouble than it was worth." So I'm like, "All right, we'll shut this down and maybe revisit it again one day." I got stickers, you know, but I just give those away to to patrons on patreon so it's like you know yeah i don't know merchandise is it's kind of interesting it's kind of interesting isn't it i i've got uh, i've got t-shirts and i've got mugs that i've got my my daughter in a uh you know a a sweatshop making for me and you know i've kind of advertised that on instagram and very few takers out there so yeah it's it's, uh you got to do like a a kickstarter thing where you get all the orders ahead of time and then once you hit a certain number of things, then you ship everything out. That's, I think that's the way to do it if there's not like huge demand. So that way right. people have to put their money where their mouth is when they tell you to, to do something. You say, all right, all, all you got to do is go over here and subscribe mm-hmm. and sign up. And, you know, once a hundred other people do it, you'll, you'll get your merchandise. Right, right. So what can folks find on your website? I took a, I took a cruise through it. There is a lot of detailed, fantastic information on the site. Yeah, so I have a lot of in-depth gear reviews. I have a lot of hiking guides for the Pacific Crest Trail, 
Continental Divide Trail, um, some other stuff around the U.S. like the Wonderland Trail, the Timberland Timberline Trail. Um, a lot of stuff about hiking in Nepal. I've been there three times now. A lot of stuff about hiking in New Zealand, Australia. Uh, lots of hikes in Japan, which has amazing hiking. Uh, I lived there for two years and did a full traverse of the Japanese Alps, which is like one of those things that I think more people need to go and do. I mean, obviously it's difficult right now, but I think Japan is super underrated as far as a hiking destination goes. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of the Japanese Alps. Yeah. So, I mean, you've heard, have you heard of like skiing and snowboarding in Japan as like a winter destination kind of thing? Like, Mm -hmm. so what I always say to people is, you know, when the snow melts, all of those mountains are still there and they have amazing hiking trails all over them. And uh, it's, you know, a lot of people know like, oh, Japan has great winter sports, skiing, snowboarding, whatever. But, you know, in the summer, they have awesome trails. They have a whole network of like huts and um, it's kind of like inspired by like the European mountain chalets, like Switzerland kind of thing and the Italian Alps. Um, but yeah, Japan's great for hiking. And it's, like I said, there's very few people out there. I mean, lots of Japanese people near trailheads, but once you get away from the trailheads, it's, you got the whole mountain range to yourself. Wow. And how, how long does it take? How many miles is, does it take to traverse the, uh, the Japanese Alps? So I did it, I think it took me 30 days or 31 days. I think it was like 700 or 800 miles, maybe. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And there's three distinct sections. There's like the Northern, the Central and the Southern Alps. Mm-hmm. So I linked them all together with uh, like basically walking roads, which was kind of a pain, but um, I don't know what the total mileage of the actual trails would be, but probably close to like five or 600 miles. But hiking in Japan is great. It's all mostly like ridgeline hiking. They don't build like switchbacks up the mountainside. It's you get on the ridge and you walk on the ridge for the whole length. So it's, it's, I mean, I can't, I, I want to go back there and do some more hiking. It's, it's great. Nice. Nice. The, the talk of switchbacks takes me back to that comment you made about uh, some low points in the Sierras on your PCT hike. You mind sharing what uh, one or two of those low moments was? Oh God. Well, so I keep saying my first PCT hike because I did the first thousand miles of the PCT again last year in 2019. So on my first time in the Sierra, uh, one of my low moments that I remember was on Silver Pass, which is just north of uh, where you get back on the trail after leaving Vermilion Valley Resort. And I had Lake Edison, which is the lake that's next to VVR for Million mm-hmm. Valley Resort was super low that year. And there's a little ferry boat that takes you from the resort back to the trail. And so they dropped me off and I was by myself. And because the lake was so low, I couldn't find the trail because I was so far away from the trail when it dropped me off. And uh. I, might, I had no working GPS on my phone. I did the whole thing with just paper maps, which <laughs> and like looking back on it is crazy to me. Like even now I'm like intimidated by paper maps. And I'm like, how did I do this in 2013? Just looking at a map, but you know, so I got lost. So I had to like bushwhack. There was tons of mosquitoes. Like I made it up to the trail. Like I fell, like I got my feet wet, which at the time was like super demoralizing and just all these things. And I was just like, why did I, and I, and I just spent two days off the trail with like one of my friends and my dad came up and visited me and it was so nice. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, this is, <laughs> this is not fun. It was so much more fun while I wasn't hiking two days ago. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I just I just remember being up there and feeling really sorry for myself and not really enjoying where I was at. But uh, yeah, just, just moments like that, you know. It's like I said, I was alone for a lot of it. You know, I I didn't really have friends that I was hiking with until probably Northern California, which is you know halfway into the hike, pretty much. So right. And which did you prefer? Did you prefer the solo experience or hiking with friends? Uh, I prefer having the option to hike with friends, you know, like knowing that people are around me, they're ahead of me or behind me that I could hike with. But, you know, just being completely, being completely alone is nice sometimes. If you know going into it, you're going to be completely alone and you kind of want that. But, you know, five months on the PCT, you kind of want some camaraderie at some point, you know, people who are doing the same thing as you which I can say now after hiking it last year is, is no longer an issue. There's people everywhere. There's tons of people now, but at the time, especially having started so late, it was a, a pretty lonely start to the PCT. Yeah. 2013, that was before uh, the wild book and movie by Cheryl Strayed and with Reese Witherspoon in it. And so I think the, I think you're right. I think the PCT was a lot less crowded back in those days. Yeah, the, the book had come out and they were filming the movie during 2013. So the movie hadn't come out yet, which I think is really did a lot more than the book did in terms of the PCT's popularity. Right, right. Also on your website, you've got, uh, you've got all kinds of information about gear. You've got your gear list. You've got reviews of gear. You've got uh, lists of, of uh, gear that people take on the, on the PCT and the CDT. Yeah, uh, I do a lot of stuff with gear because I spend a lot of time researching gear and a lot of time confused about gear. And so like when I write a, uh, a review about gear, I basically try to answer all of the questions that I had about a certain piece of gear before. Because a lot of things, even like naming conventions with lots of gear in like the outdoor industry can be like so confused. I'm just like, just tell me the difference between these two things and why they're two different products. And, you know, um, but yeah, and then I do a big survey of PCT and CDT hikers every year, and I ask them a ton of questions about their gear, you know, what do they bring, what do they like, and so I kind of uh, get all that together and put it into a big post and say, you know, here's the most popular things, here are the least popular things, here are the things that people wish they had changed out, that people wished that they had upgraded, spent more money on, so I just kind of try to give useful information about gear. Right. And before we get to the surveys, I wanted to um, ask you, you know, you've got a lot of information in there about the, the PCT and a lot of information about the CDT, but you're missing one of the triple crown trails. There's, I couldn't find anything on the AT. What's it, is there, what's, what's, what's the aversion? There's one thing about the AT and it's a, it's a post that I wrote. I believe it's called uh, why, I'm never hiking the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> and I kind of just lay out my reasons for not wanting to hike the AT. Um, I mean, I have nothing against, you know, people who like the AT, people who, you know, I know the AT has a very hardcore fan base and, you know, people love the AT, but personally, it's just not an attractive trail for me. It doesn't sound like something I'd want to go spend many months doing. Um, if it had been the first trail that I had gone and hiked, like was originally planned when I had met that guy, then I'm sure I would love the AT and it would hold a special place in my heart for being my first through hike. But 
having now hiked the PCT and the CDT and a whole bunch of other things, just it doesn't, doesn't sound appealing to me. I don't know. Okay. Another semi-regular feature on the John freaking Muir pod is the impromptu top three or top five list. So here comes a top three list, the top three reasons to not hike the AT. According oh to according to Mac from halfway anywhere, <laughs> you just want people to get so mad at me. That's what <laughs> people get so mad about this, and I'm just like, this is just my opinion. Like, it, let me have my own opinion. But, um, I so my top ones that I can just think of off the cuff. I know there's more that I wrote in that post, but uh, one is just the uh, the the frequency with which you can get off the trail and go into a town or to a city and um, just because the East Coast is so much more dense than the West Coast, there's not just like these huge swaths of, you know, uninhabited wilderness. Like you go into the Sierra and you can spend 10, 12, 14 days hiking full days every day and not pass a single road and still be, you know, a day away from town to the East and to the West. Whereas on the AT, you know, there's not a 14 day section that you can hike and <laughs> and not encounter a road or not encounter you know, uh, access the town. Um, also the AT just seems like there's so like, you're just walking in the trees the whole time. And I know there's like sections up in like the whites or the presidential range or somewhere up there. I haven't spent a lot of time in new England hiking. I know there's nice areas. I'm not saying the whole thing is just walking in the trees, but I know a lot of it is just walking in the trees and you're not really seeing much. And I don't know, just, Oregon was my least favorite part of the PCT and you're spending a lot of it just walking in the trees. Like it's, it wasn't very fun. And people in Oregon get mad at me about that. And I'm like, it's, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's my least favorite part of the PCT. Like I like the whole thing. Um, and then uh, I, I guess you can kind of say the same thing about the PCT now, but originally it was just like the number of people on the AT was just so much more. Like, I don't believe there's a, I, I actually don't know, so I shouldn't say, but I mean, there's a quota for the PCT now that only 50 people are allowed to start every day from the Southern Terminus. Um, I don't know if there's a quota for the AT, um, but I just feel like the AT is so much more popular. And so if I did the AT one year, I would probably do like a southbound late season through hike of the AT, like start super late and just hike south as fast as I could would be the way that I would do the AT. And maybe I would really enjoy that. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I will do it one year, like, but it's definitely not very high on my list. Got it. Got yeah. it. So try and, try and do something a little bit uh, opposite of the norm. Go southbound. Go late in the year. Try and uh, escape from all that civilized life or, or all the, uh, the people on the trail. Yeah. Because also, you know, I, and I saw it a lot last year on the PCT where – it's, you know, you're in a completely different world if you're on your first through hike, because, you know, and I, I remember being in that world, like everything was new and exciting. It's like, whoa. And it's like, you kind of don't know what you're doing. And that's part of the fun and the excitement. You've got to figure it out with everybody else. And so, you know, once, once you become that jaded, like, oh, when I did my first through hike, like experienced through hiker, it's, you know, it's, you got to really remind yourself a lot of times, like that you are, you know, in a completely different space mentally than other people who are doing this for their first time. So it's a, and you know, you can't like pretend to be back in that headspace. Like you, you can, you know, you can have a good time and talk to them and stuff, but you're, you're not going to get that, that first time through hike feeling again, you know? So it's a, uh, yeah, I would try to avoid 
people as much as possible on the AT. Are, are you antisocial? Uh, no, I love, I like people. I love dating <laughs> people. I love hanging out with people. Uh, I like, I like being on my own too. I like, um, but yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm antisocial. Nice. Hike your own hike. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. I know the, it, <laughs> nothing against the AT. I know it's a great trail. Just personally, I don't want to hike it. And you know, I don't know why people can't be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So all you ATers out there, no hate mail for Mac, no hate mail for me. That's just one man's opinion. He's free to express it. Yeah. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, like, if you think there's a very compelling reason for me to hike the AT that like, you know, maybe I haven't thought of, or maybe whatever, then I'm like, let me know. Like, I'm happy to hear it. But like, usually people's reasons for hiking the AT begin with something like, well, I'm from the East coast. I'm like, okay, well that, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. Or like, you know, it was my first trail. I'm like, okay, well that also can't apply to me. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's all bad. Just saying it's not for me. So let me just just throw out a challenge to our listeners there. If I have a passionate AT hiker out there who really wants to talk about how awesome the AT is and why it is head and shoulders superior to the PCT and CDT, email me at uh, johnfreakamir at gmail.com and let's set up an interview. Let's hear about it. So, you know. Mac is here expressing his opinion. You're free to, to come on and, and talk about yours. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to have a debate. I'm just trying to say, like, based on what I've heard, you know, it doesn't sound like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to listen. Happy to hear. You know, nice. and then I could say I'm a triple crowder and I've hiked all the trails. Like, maybe that's the other th- reason I would hike the AT. If I tried to do, like, a, a calendar year triple crown or something, then I could go hike the AT and then I could be a triple crowner. But the idea of being a triple crowner is, I'm like, uh, whatever <laughs> so how many miles do you have on your your uh your hiking feet how many how many backpacking miles do you have under your belt uh all told i don't know probably close to ten thousand, maybe over ten thousand. i don't know i'd have to i've thought about this before like it's like definitely over like seven thousand, probably over eight maybe over not like so I'd say probably closing in on 10 if i'm not there yet that's a lot of nights under the stars. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's go back to the surveys. What, uh, what inspired the surveys? How do you do the surveys? What kinds of questions are you asking on the surveys? And what are some of the insights that you have, have gained from asking those questions and getting, getting that information? So the surveys I do every year at the end of the hiking season for the PCT and the CDT and, uh, I distribute them via social media, via email, via my website, just however I can to as many people as I can. And not only people who finished the trail, but people who started the trail and didn't finish, people who were section hikers on the trail, just basically anybody who hiked either of those trails every year. And I started them, I started in 2013, right after I finished the PCT, just because I was kind of curious, like how my hike compared to other people's hikes and kind of how, because uh, it was really hard in 2013 for me to find a lot of like information about planning the PCT, like there wasn't a ton of stuff online. So uh, I kind of wanted to just make a resource where it could be like, this is objective information about the trail from people who hiked the trail. So this is where people uh, resupplied. This is where people liked. This is... Um, people's favorite section of the trail, least favorite section of the trail, 
Uh, I ask a lot of questions, a lot of questions. It's the survey is over a hundred questions long. And every year I have people tell me it's too long. And every year I have people tell me to add questions. And I've uh, very quickly learned you, you can't please everybody. So I, uh, I, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. So I, I try to make it as concise as possible as use as many logic jumps in the survey as I can to, you know, not have people trying to fill out questions that don't apply to them. But I really ask about everything at this point, because every year I ask people, you know, how do you think I could improve the survey? And every year I get feedback and, you know, so every year for the last, this is the eighth year now, I think that I'm doing it. And this year is obviously a very strange year to be doing it, but, you know, I'm also collecting survey data this year from people who uh, intended to do a through hike, but then canceled their through hike. So I don't know, maybe there'll be some interesting stuff in there. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really I ask about everything. I ask about resupplying. I ask about gear. I ask about, uh, you know, just demographics. I ask about training, about, uh, I don't know, like difficult parts of the trail, easy parts of the trail. Just really, it's, it's pretty comprehensive at this point. It's, I, I feel like if I was adding anything else, I mean, I'm sure there's other stuff to add or stuff to combine, but it's really a a very complete picture of the trail, I think. Yeah. And do you have the data locked up in your head? If I were to ask you some questions about the most recent surveys, could you uh, give a a reasonably informed answer? The most recent ones as in like the last couple of years or this year? Whichever is, is most uh, recent and complete. Well, how, how about, how about you just ask whatever you're thinking of? And I'll I'll tell you, I, cause I know, cause a lot of, a lot of the data surprisingly doesn't change year to year. So I can kind of predict a lot of things every year. Like, okay, yeah, this is pretty standard and this is, you know, this is out of the ordinary, but yeah, go ahead. Let's. let's, Okay. All right. So that was one of the first things I was going to ask is, is have you seen an evolution of the data over the years? And if not, I mean, what has been, what has been the, the data point that has changed the most since you first started this? Oh, the data point that has changed the most is, I don't, I couldn't tell you. I, let me see. I did a a wrap up of like the last seven years of data. Um, I think, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of, it's pretty consistent. Definitely there's more international hikers now than uh, when I started the percentage of hikers from overseas is uh, a lot bigger. Um, More people are hiking southbound now, but that's because in 2015, I think it was the first year that the PCTA implemented the quota system for the Southern Terminus. So it's basically forced people to hike southbound. That makes sense. Um, it's It's been interesting to see like the years that are high snow years or where there's big fires, like the completion percentages change. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely representative. Um, you can see like, the the valleys and hills where you know it's like oh this was a big snow year a lot of people skipped the sierra or a lot of people got off trail because of the snow um but a lot of things stay pretty consistent like the number of zero days people take um people's like longest day of hiking i ask is usually around like 40 miles like just under 40 miles wow um how many, how many zero days, what's the average number of zero days on the PCT and on the CDT? On the PCT, I think it's like 15 or six. It's like between like 15 and 17 usually. Okay. On the CDT, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. 
Um, but I, honestly, I would probably guess it's fairly close to that 15 number from the PCT. Um, okay. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how like these kinds of things just average out across you know mm-hmm. all the different hikers year after year and across both of the trails. What's the average age of a through hiker on the PCT? Average age of a PC, I'd have to say it's like 25, maybe. It's, really that young? Yeah, it's it's definitely late 20s, early 30s. is Because the, the, the ages definitely like skew younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like 40 to 50 is the least represented um, age group. Uh, but definitely the ages skew younger. So I, I'm pretty sure like 25 to 30 is, uh, the average PCT hiker. Okay. And is there a difference on the CDT? Does it skew a little bit different or is it pretty much the same? No, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Okay. Not much of a difference. All right. And how much experience does the typical PCT hiker have? Is this typically their first long trail or have they done other long trails before? On the PCT, it's typically people's first long distance trail. On the wow. CDT, usually people have hiked a long distance trail beforehand. Okay. Yeah. All right. And before we go to break here, I want to get your uh, your stats on the favorite section of the PCT and the least favorite section of the PCT. Uh, well, overall, Washington and the Sierra are the favorite sections. And then... Uh, Usually Northern California, Oregon, sometimes the desert are the least favored sections. And then specifically the favorite sections of the PCT are uh, like the John Muir Trail section because there's a lot of overlap. So basically anything that's also on the the JMT. Uh, And then Goat Rocks Wilderness up in Washington, uh, Glacier Peak Wilderness up in Washington, basically the whole North, North Cascades National Park in Washington. Uh, those are the the favorite sections, and then least favorite sections are usually what I believe is oh, I can't tell you, but the section between Mojave to Hatchapi, mm-hmm. uh, basically all the way up to Kennedy Meadows. So like the last hundred and fifty miles of the desert, uh, people really don't like. That's where there's lots of lots of just like it's like lots. It's one of the driest sections of the trail, yeah. so it's got a lot of big water carries and. Uh, there's lots of wind farms and it's just lots of monotonous desert hiking. Um, yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because I am currently in the middle of reading journeys North by mm-hmm. Barney scout man. And it's about his 2007 uh, PCT hike. And that's currently the section that he's, that he's discussing in, in the book. And it, yeah, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun heading towards to Hatchapi. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's the, the desert section of the PCT is interesting because it's not really the quote-unquote desert that a lot of people think of like coming from I guess maybe other countries like the CDT is in New Mexico is much more what you imagine when you think of the desert because the PCT is really it's like high desert chaparral like you go up to like you know 7,000 feet up in Big Bear Wrightwood so mm-hmm. but that that section around Mojave to Hatchapi is probably one of the most desert sections of uh, the PCT mm-hmm. and yeah. at that point you've already been hiking for you know, probably close to a month and you're just like, Oh, I'm so ready to get to the Sierra and have there be water and have there be views and mountains. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. Hey, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to try and and pin Mac down on a couple more top five lists. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. 
Hey, this is Mac from Halfway Anywhere, and you're listening to the John Freaking Muir Pod. And welcome back. We're talking to Mac from the Halfway Anywhere website, and we're going to try and pin him down on some uh, some more impromptu top five or top three lists. I'm going to start off, Mac, if you can share some of your uh, top five pieces of gear what are your what are the your your most favorite pieces of gear that you have or that you that you you've used in the past so top five pieces of gear backpacking gear yeah like yes backpacking gear <laughs> um well honestly right now i i have a lot of backpacks and right now one of my favorite backpacks is uh by a small company in England called Adam Packs. And uh, I actually met the guy who started the company when I hiked the CDT in 2017 and then went and visited him in England. And we built a pack for me, which was a really cool experience just seeing how that's done. And uh, it's, I really, I, I really like the pack. Like I kind of went over there and I was like, oh yeah, like cool. Like let's build a pack and, you know, thought, it would be kind of just nice of me to like use this pack for a while, but it's quickly become like one of my favorite packs. Adam packs is the name of the company. Um, I really like it. Uh, How big uh, is it and what, what makes it uh, so good? Uh, it's a 50 liter pack. Um, he does lots of customizations and stuff. So, I mean, you can get them in like different colors, whatever, like uh, it's got a, a, a bottom pocket on it, which is my first pack with a bottom pocket that I love. It's got like shoulder strap pockets. It's got a, just like a really basic, like carbon fiber frame um, that's removable too, if I want to remove it, but I usually leave it in. Uh, it's, I don't know. And it, it's just held up really well. Like I've, I've hiked thousands of miles with it and it's, it's still going strong. Um, I don't know. I just, and you know, it's like a smaller company. Like it's, oh yeah. And then, okay. So Going from that, my, my fanny pack um, is by a, another small company called Through Pack, and I can't imagine hiking uh, without a fanny pack now. And whenever anybody tries to challenge me on the fanny pack, I'm just like, shut up, you're wrong. Like, fanny pack is the best. Uh, I store so much stuff inside of my fanny pack. It's amazing. Um, Within I, easy reach, it's uh, very convenient. Yep. I, I can't, like... I feel like a fool for ever having hiked without a fanny pack. Like <laughs> for so many years, I didn't have one. It wasn't until the end of the Continental Divide Trail when one of my friends let me borrow his fanny pack because I was going to slack pack a section. So somebody was going to bring me my gear at the end of the day, but I needed something like during the day to hold my snacks and my things. He's like, Oh, here, just wear my fanny pack. And it changed my life. It's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so backpack, fanny pack, we're doing, we're doing five, five. If you have it. Yeah. Five. Um, I, do wet wipes count? Uh, Well, that that could be an important piece of gear. Sure. I don't know. Wet wipes are like another thing that I'm just like, I don't know how I ever hiked without wet wipes. Like they, and specifically for wiping after you poop, like that's what I use wet wipes for. That that could be a pro tip right there. I don't know. That was going to be my friend. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of at the very beginning. I was like, oh, it's going to be wet wipes. But I don't know. They're, 
they're great. I don't know how I ever hiked without them. Uh, they're revolutionary. I love them. Pack them out. Pack out your toilet paper too, by the way. Um, so that's three. I'm counting wet wipes. Okay. All right. Um, let's see what else we got. Uh, honestly, my, I, so I started hiking in like a, a lightweight hoodie, uh, probably like four years ago now. And now it's like the only thing that I hike in usually like as my top. So I've gone through a lot of different hoodies over the years. And right now I love my, uh, it's Ridge Marino is the company. They're based out of Mammoth Lakes in California, which is one of the towns on the PCT. And I think it's called their Solstice hoodie. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's relatively cheap as far as hoodies go. I think it's like $70. It's, the last one I had was like 130 or so. It was like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it's an inexpensive, like lightweight hoodie. It's comfortable. It's got thumb loops. It's got high volume hood. It's got some drawstrings on the hood that actually keep the hood from flying off. It's, it's great. Like, you know, it's nice. You can wear it in the desert. It'll protect you from the sun. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to overheat in it. You can wear it when it's cooler, breezy, like it'll keep you warm. It's, it's great. Everybody should hike in a hoodie. Hoodies are the best. Fanny pack, hoodie, wet wipes, backpack. Um, last piece of gear. Anything to do with a sleep system or, um, or a shelter? I, I just got the Western Mountaineering Astrolite quilt. Um, so I really like Western Mountaineering sleeping bags. I have the Versalite, which is their 10 degree bag, and the Ultralite, which is their 20 degree, 20 degree bag. And I've kind of flirted with quilts in the past and I haven't really been a super huge fan and I've just been like, whatever, I'm perfectly happy carrying a heavier sleeping bag. But uh, Western Mountaineering makes really good stuff and they're generally pretty conservative with their uh, temperature ratings. So they have a 26 degree quilt, the Astrolite, that I just recently got. And so far, I'm really happy with it. It weighs like a whole pound less than uh, the Ultralight sleeping bag, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd have to say tentatively the Astrolite quilt, but you know, TBD, I, I haven't really put it through the ringer yet. So very good. It's, it's nice to have conservative temperature ratings on your quilts. As I learned, uh, back last September when I did an overnighter at thousand Island Lake with a quilt that, uh, did not live up to its temperature rating. Yeah, whenever people tell me that they were cold with their quilt, I'm like, I don't even feel bad for you. Like, just get a sleeping bag. It's like, <laughs> you knew going into this that, like, it wasn't going to be very warm. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Anything to save pounds on the on the pack weight. I don't know. I, I'm, I've, I've, you know, I, I went from carrying way too much because I didn't know what I was doing to trying to carry as little as possible. And I don't care how uncomfortable I am sometimes to now being like, whatever, I'm going to carry whatever makes me happy and whatever I'm comfortable with. I, I don't care how much it weighs. All right. Good perspective. Yeah. Very good. That, and that's coming from a guy who's got 10,000 miles uh, under his belt. So that's, uh, that's some wisdom right there. I mean, sometimes an extra pound of weight is going to make a huge difference as far as your comfort. And, you know, it's definitely worth, I, I carry, you know, food that, you know, if, if everybody puts as much thought into their food as they do their gear, then maybe they're justified in not bringing something that's a couple ounces more. But, you know, people will spend hundreds of dollars to get something that's three ounces less, and then they'll just willy-nilly pack whatever food they like. And I'm like, well, that's as important as the gear you're carrying, isn't it? Like, weight is weight, so yeah. whatever. Before I, before I get to my next top, uh, top three list here, um, you mentioned food, so I have to ask you, what 
what item of food has through hiking absolutely ruined for you? What, what do you never want to see again? Um, honestly, the only thing, and it wasn't something that I even ate before through hiking, uh, is just the instant mashed potatoes. <laughs> like I enjoyed them for maybe the first month of my first Pacific Crest Trail through hike. And now it's like, they're disgusting. I don't know. And I haven't, I haven't done, there's the ramen bomb that people put ramen in the instant mashed potatoes and they cook it together. And I don't know, I haven't tried that yet. I'm sure that's better, but I don't know. Instant, I'm pretty good. Like I'll still eat, you know, any cliff bars, energy bars, whatever, like, cause I know what I like and I just bring what I like. And then I enjoy eating those things cause I know that I like them. So it's, I don't have a very varied diet on the trail, but the things that I have are things that I like eating. So well, you know, I, I bring stuff that I, that I like to eat, but by the end of the trail, I'm like, oh, I can't, I, I never want to see another payday bar in my life. Oh, I don't know. I could eat M&Ms all day, every day okay. <laughs> until, until I'm sick. <laughs> and uh, you carry a stove or are you a, uh, a cold soaker? Uh, I carry a stove sometimes, but okay. when, I, when I don't carry a stove, I'm not a cold soaker. I just uh, wrap cheese and deli meat up in tortillas and spray some sriracha on it. And that's the the bulk of my my calorie intake during meals. Okay. Any any experience at all with cold soak? Nope. It's no. not, not appealing to me at yeah, all. It doesn't doesn't sound appealing. I never tried it, and I'm not sure I understand uh, why people do it. Uh, it sounds it sounds it sounds like so much work for like such marginal benefit, if any. I'm just like, mm, no, I'll just eat tortillas and cheese. It's fine. Yeah. The stove the stove doesn't weigh that much. No, I mean, I, I'll usually bring a stove, especially if I'm with other people, because then it's like, mm-hmm. it's really sad if I'm just eating my tortillas and I'm finished eating every night at camp, but when people are still like cooking and hanging out. I'm just like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go lay down by myself now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, another, another top three here. Top three list of uh-oh moments from the trail. Uh, uh-oh moments. So I just got back from a hike in the Grand Canyon and I had to do some really big water carries. And so I was carrying a, uh, oh, well, I guess this is kind of a, a two in one. First, I had to do an out and back to a water source and I camped where the water source was. And when I got there, I realized that one of my bottles had fallen out of my backpack and it was a liter and a half bottle, which was, the I think I had a 10 liter capacity because I was carrying a gallon jug of water in my hand. So that was a pretty big uh-oh because I had like a, a pretty big water carry across difficult terrain. And uh, so I ended up filling up Ziploc bags that used to have food in them uh, with water at the water source. And then I put them inside of my sleeping bags dry bag. And then I put that in the exterior pack. Uh, pouch of my my backpack uh, ended up finding my water bottle walking back which was good um, and which was extra good because I ended up needing the extra water that I put in those ziplocks and then during that water carry also I fell and since I was holding a gallon jug of water in my hand I like punched a cactus with oh. the gallon jug of water and it sprung a leak and it was like full it was it was like four, almost four liters of water in this gallon jug and I was like I need this water and I can't hike holding you know the hole up the whole time so first I tried duct taping it couldn't get it to work and then I ended up using a sleeping pad patch to patch the hole and it worked great and it held for the rest of the trip 
Um, wow. Necessity is the mother of invention. And, and there's a lot of problem solving going out there, going on out there on the trail. Yeah. I was, I was so happy that I had that patch for my sleeping pad. It was, uh, it, it literally saved me a lot of frustration. So that's big. Uh Oh, um, first time on the PCT leaving Snoqualmie pass, Snoqualmie pass. No, sorry. Uh, Stevens pass up in Washington me and I think four of my friends hiked out. It's pouring rain. They're saying there's a big storm coming in. There's a pretty big section coming up with no access to road or, you know, no bail points or anything. We pass multiple people coming southbound who have turned around and say to us, guys, it's, it's impassable. The, the, the storm's going to be too bad. You shouldn't keep going. Obviously, we know it's best. So we just keep hiking north. We camp. We wake up in the morning, everything's covered in snow, everything's soaked through, it's like freezing cold. We have like another 80 something miles to go before the next section and we're like, okay, I guess uh, I guess we should turn around. So that was a pretty big uh-oh, turned around, uh, admitted to ourselves that we were, uh, you know, a little too uh, what's hubris filled the day before walking past everybody thinking that you know we could we could conquer what they couldn't uh and then uh let's see there's got to be a a third one um i don't know ever encounter any any bears I'm very no. unlucky with bears. You know, okay. I, I go out looking for bears every single time and I, I'm very, I very rarely encounter any. And I'm, I'm pretty good about, you know, keeping my, my food locked up. Somebody uh, might point out to you that that's not unlucky, that that's, that's actually lucky. Oh no, I'm so dis. I, I can't believe how few bears I have seen in my hiking career. Like it's, it's hugely disappointing. And I always hear people like, Oh yeah, I went on this overnight and I saw like five bears. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I just hiked 200 miles for three weeks through this year. and didn't see any bear. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's, there's definitely, Oh, there was one time in, uh, on the CDT, I guess it's not really hiking related, but my friend and I engaged in conversation with this woman on this random dirt road in New Mexico who ended up getting uh, extremely drunk and then pulling a revolver out of her car and proceeded to wave it around and yell at me every time that I would like tell her to put the gun away or to like move it. It was, it was a very dicey situation. Um, and we wanted nothing ex- but for this woman to leave. And uh, it was rough. So don't, don't drink tequila with random strangers on the side of the road and, uh, in New Mexico on the CDT. That's another pro tip right there. It's another pro tip. Very good. (laughs) Wise, wise words to live by. Yeah. Not, not going to make that mistake again. (laughs) All right. Hey, can I pin you down on your, your three favorite spots on the PCT? What were the, what were the, the prime locations in your mind? Uh, my three favorite spots on the PCT are probably well, one of them's got to be in the Sierra. Uh, I really like uh, Palisade Lakes just north of uh, Mather Pass is beautiful. There's great camping, just hiking. Um, 
it's that's got to be one of my favorite spots on the PCT. Uh, there's some. I feel like I got to give the the desert some love. There's a spot in the desert on the PCT just north of. I believe it's just north. It might be just south. I think it's north of Mount Laguna, which is like the first little place that you can go and resupply or whatever. And you're basically hiking up the side of this mountain and you just get this just epic grand view of the desert and the PCT and just everything below. It's like thousands of feet, like vertical feet down into, I don't know, you want to call it a valley, but just like off this mountainside and you can see the whole desert like stretching out before you. And it's like the first time where you're just like, Whoa, like this is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's great. And then, uh, there's a, there's a lake just off trail. I think it's like a quarter mile off trail just North of Tuolumne Meadows. Maybe actually it's maybe more like 20 miles North of Tuolumne Meadows in Yosemite called Benson Lake. And my friend and I, uh, left the trail to go and camp there and I'm not a hundred percent sure because I haven't been back there but I just have the the best it could be one of those things where it's just my personal memories and whatever but I was just like this place was so beautiful so nice it was like a sandy beach we went swimming we had a fire it was just such a nice campsite and a place to to go and hang out so I'd say Benson Lake but maybe not that could just be me misremembering things it could have just been a, a high above among a bunch of lows. So hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Everything's in context, right? I think yeah. those are, those are uh, three great uh, top threes though. That's good. That's good. Thank you. All right. Anything else about the PCT or the website before we leave it in the, in the rear view here and go on to some of your other adventures? Um, just uh, the PCT is, is, is great. It's also terrible. Through hiking is not fun. Some sometimes it is, but I don't know for for anybody thinking of doing the their first time through hike on the PCG, just uh, it's, it's another pro tip. <laughs> Set your expectations low <laughs> nice. because uh, it's not all just Instagram pictures and you know feel good moments out there. <laughs> very very well said, and you're really going to enjoy the tagline of this podcast. I always sign off with embrace the suck because there's a lot of uh, that that goes into through hiking there is yeah every every thunderstorm every mosquito filled valley yeah. <laughs> every time you get chafe it's terrible that's right and you know having said that embrace the suck being the tagline about through hiking i really hope that our listeners understand that that's about through hiking and not about listening to the pod i mean that's i, I don't want you to think that you have to embrace the suck uh, while you're listening to the pod that's not what I was going for. So, all right. Hey, Mac, let's move on to uh, Nepal. You've been in Nepal a few times. Three, three times now, I believe. Okay. And uh, probably spent a total of like four or five months there total, I think. Um, but Nepal's great. It's a, a completely different type of uh, hiking or trekking, as everybody says in Nepal, than is to be found in you know the lower 48 at least haven't been to alaska but it's probably similar <laughs> uh but yeah nepal is is an incredible country to visit and to travel and to hike in so what makes the hiking different uh well 
first of all, there's, there's villages in the mountains, which uh, definitely makes it, you can do a lot of hiking in Nepal without a shelter, without a sleeping bag, without uh, pretty much anything you would need to make camp because you could stay at a lodge every night and uh, you can have a hot meal cooked for you. You can, um, you know, get water, get whatever. It, it's, it's definitely not a, a wilderness experience. Like the first time I went there, I was imagining like, oh, going up into the Himalayas and it's going to be just me in the mountains and whatever. And you're like, oh no, it's me and like all these other people. And like these people who live here and I'm like going to their houses and staying with them and they're making me food. And um, so, I mean, that's, that's certainly one thing that's different too. Just, you know, the, the terrain is just, the mountains are so big. <laughs> you're hiking like, the whole time in the valleys, which, you know, are already higher than most of the peaks that I've been in or been on in the U.S. And then you're looking up, you know, just thinking to yourself, wow, that mountain is another two vertical miles higher than I am right now. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no getting lost in Nepal. You're not going to make a wrong turn and accidentally walk, you know, across a ridge and into the wrong valley. <laughs> right. Now, the, the, you know, I've had people on here before who have talked about Everest base camp and some, some of the hiking in that area, but I understand you did a, uh, a trip, a trail called the three passes trek. Yeah. So the three passes trek is basically a lollipop loop that begins at the same place as Everest base camp does. Okay. And then at the top of the loop is Everest base camp pretty much. So you follow the Everest base camp trail for, uh, the first couple of days and then you split off and you basically make a big circle around, go over one pass. Then you're in the same Valley that Everest base camp is. You can detour North to Everest base camp for a day if you'd like, then come back to the three passes trek loop and then keep heading West over another pass into the next Valley, which is where Gokyo is, which is another popular trekking destination uh, in the Everest region, uh, Gokyo lakes. And then you go over another pass and then you loop back around to meet the Everest base camp trail that you left before hitting the first pass. And um, definitely a hike that I would recommend to anybody who is an experienced hiker who wants to go to Everest base camp, because if you just go to Everest base camp and you have a lot of miles under your belt and you've done a lot of stuff outdoors, you might be a little disappointed because like I said, it's not the wilderness, you know, it is challenging, but it's um, it's it's very handholdy. You know, you're not there's people the whole time. There's tons of groups and guides and people all in the, all up and down the trail. Whereas the three passes trek is definitely a little uh, less traveled, and you can find some solitude on it. And it's it's certainly more challenging. And you can still go to Everest Base Camp easily as a, a side trip from it. Yeah. What what is what does Everest Base Camp look like? You had to describe it in a, a few sentences. What's, what's that all about? Well, I've, I've never been there during the climbing season. I've, every time I've gone to Nepal has been in the winter. Once it's been in the winter rolling into spring, but it's, it's just a, a glacier. <laughs> it's just a, a bunch of rock and snow. And there's a bunch of big mountains everywhere. And you can't see Mount Everest from Everest Base Camp. So uh, if you ever see a picture of Everest base camp that's taken from the ground. It's not taken from like a helicopter or something. And somebody tells you, and there's Everest, they're, they're lying to you because you can't see Everest from Everest base camp. 
All right. Little known fact right there. You cannot yeah. see Everest from Everest Base Camp. What can you see from Everest Base Camp? Uh, you can see the, the Kumbu Icefall, which okay. is uh, like that first, you know, big challenging thing that people go in. And then I don't, I honestly, I should know, but I can't remember. I'm pretty sure you can see Lhotse, which is like one of the, it's, it's one of the 8,000 meter, meter peaks. Like I can't tell you which might be like the fourth tallest peak, third tallest peak and yeah. Noopsy, I think. Um, not a hundred percent sure though, but I mean, you can see some, some huge mountains, you know, some of the, literally some of the tallest mountains in the world, but uh, not Everest. You can see Everest. There's a little detour. A lot of people do who go to Everest base camp up a peak. Kind of, it's, it's like a, people say it's a peak, but then you, you hike up to it and you're like, this is kind of just like a, seems like a dirt hill but it's it's over eighteen thousand feet high but it's 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 not really a peak but it's called uh oh my god i can't remember i can't think of what it is it's uh kalapatar is the name of it and a lot of people will hike up to kalapatar and from there you get a pretty good view of the top of everest nice you got you have a good shot of everest that you can share with us i can post it on social media I got my pictures of Everest aren't great. It's uh, I do have some. I I have yeah, I do. I'll, I'll send you an over, and you, you can let me know what you think. It's, it's it's not a, it's black. Like the whole like looking at it, like the whole rock, the top face of Everest, like it's it's super, or at least it looks black. It's like very dark, right? Uh, stone. It's not like a a sheet of ice or something on the, the face. At least from where I was looking at it from. Got it. And what is the highest point that you have uh, hiked to? Ooh. Let me see. The highest point I've been to is Island Peak, which is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the Sherpa name for it, but I'm pretty sure it's Imja Tsi. And uh, that's in the Everest region. And it's also an excellent addition to your three passes trek if you really want to do an epic backpacking trip in the Everest region, do the three passes trek, go to Everest Base Camp, also climb Island Peak. And that's 20,305 feet. Wow. You've been, you've been to 20,000 feet? Yeah. And I, yeah. Think it's, I think it's only three feet uh, shorter than Denali. Because I'm pretty sure it's one, I'm pretty sure Denali is 6,190 meters uh -huh. and Island Peak is 6,189. And I was... I was very sad to learn. I was like, oh man, but now I just got to go climb Denali, I guess. Or, or you just go, you do that one again and just jump really high once you get to the top. That's, that's right. true. I mean, I, what, what, kind of, what kind of vertical leap do you have? I mean, at that elevation, not much. <laughs> <laughs> I could hardly take another step. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know when, uh, when I did Whitney, it, uh, it was pretty taxing at, you know, 14.5 and it was slow going for a while there. I can't imagine what it's like at 20,000 feet. Yeah. It's like you, you watch those movies or whatever, and you see like the mountaineers are taking one step and then like, you know, and then another step and you're like, come on, just take another step. And it's like, you don't realize, but every step for the last you know, hour has been the last step and it's just so tiring. But yeah, Whitney's high though. I, I was up at the top of Whitney twice uh, this last summer and both times I was just like, I can't believe they let people just drive up here from LA and hike to the top of Whitney. Like it's crazy because <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, it's tough and it's a long ways and you get to the top and you got to go all the way back down. It's not like, you know, you get to the top and you're done. It's, 
Yeah, it's yeah. no joke. No joke. Not to be underestimated. Yep. All right. Hey, it's switch gears again here. You've also done some some pretty amazing hikes in the should we call it the South Pacific? You've been to New Zealand and Tasmania. I don't think I've ever had anybody on here that has talked about a Tasmania hike. What do you, oh, where, do you, Tas- where do you hike in Tasmania? Tasmania is like one of the great hidden treasures of, of the hiking world. It, uh, it's basically Australia's New Zealand. Um, it's, uh, it's part of Australia for everybody who doesn't. It's an Australian state. Um, there are states in Australia, Tasmania is one of them, just like Hawaii is a state of the U S. Um, so Tasmania, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's super remote. It's not very populated. There's some really cool mountains. It's, it's geographically very similar to New Zealand. Um, it's, uh, it's great. There's hikes all over Tasmania. The, the most well-known track in Tas for track, they call them tracks. Mm-hmm. Down there is uh, the Overland Track is uh, probably, it's like the, the John Muir Trail of Tasmania. If I had to equate it to something, it's like the, the one that everybody knows about and that people want to do and you have to get a permit for it. And it's, you know, super well developed, but there's some super remote regions of Tasmania that have some super awesome hikes. Um, the Western Arthurs is the range down there that has, it's probably one of my favorite hikes I've ever done is uh, the Western Arthurs Traverse. It's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's great. I, I can't recommend Tasmania highly enough to, to anybody interested in going there. So what, what do the Western Arthurs look like? Are they, uh, are they a lot like the 10,000 plus foot uh, peaks in the Sierras or are they, are they uh, covered by vegetation? What, what, what's it look like? No, they're, they're a lot more uh, kind of like, I don't know jagged or sheer is the right word but you know you're not like hiking in you know big valleys and you're hiking kind of like up on the ridges and lots of steep up and down there's lots of it's like I don't know what the the name for the region is but it's kind of you're like you're above tree line but there's still lots of vegetation like there's lots of like button grass everywhere and uh lots of alpine lakes um mm-hmm. uh it's really really wet really damp really muddy uh the mud in has i mean i i say this now like tasmania is, is amazing i want to go back to tasmania but i remember at the time just the mud was overwhelming like knee deep waist deep mud got my shoe literally stuck like underground in mud that's that's an oopsie i should have thought of earlier like had to reach you know down to my my shoulder in the mud to get my shoe out, just like stuff like that. It was, uh, you know, but now I can sit here and be like, Oh, I can't wait to go back. Uh, there's leeches everywhere in Tasmania, which are disgusting and I hate them. And even though they don't really, they don't spread disease and you know, there's nothing that's going to happen to you if you get a leech on you, just they're disgusting. And I, I don't want them on me. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're really doing the hard sell on Tasmania here. It really sounds what? appealing. Well, I mean, like, because that's the thing, like, New Zealand might be, like, the more, because in New Zealand, there's no snakes. I don't think there's any leeches. Like, it's, uh, there's a lot more infrastructure. It's a lot more built up. So, it's kind of like the more friendly version of Tasmania. But if you're looking for something more rugged, uh, far fewer people, like, Tasmania is, is awesome. It's, it's a great place for hiking. And is, does the Overland Track go through the Western Arthurs, or are those two completely separate hikes? No, they're two completely separate hikes. The Overland, okay. like Tasmania isn't very big, 
but uh, Overland Track is in like the northwest quadrant, and the mm-hmm. Western Arthurs is in the southwest quadrant. Okay. And despite them kind of being not too far from each other, like as the crow flies, I'm pretty sure it's one of those things where you need to do like a giant loop around the whole island to uh to actually get from one to the other. But it's not too bad. It's it's not that big of a a region. And so for our listeners out there who are now planning their next Tasmania hike based on your uh, description, how much, how much time should they plan on devoting to each of those hikes? Oh, the Overland track you could do pretty fast. The Overland track is kind of one of those things that's like, it's like the jewel of Tasmania, but you could, you could skip it and like do these other things and not be sorry. I think it's only like 85 miles. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think my friend and I did it in like, three maybe four days some people take like 10 days to do it Mm -hmm. um but you know if you can bust that out super quick southwest national park i'm pretty sure is where the the western arthurs are uh that's definitely where i would spend most of my time there's also the eastern arthurs and you can do like a full arthur range traverse that requires that you either pay somebody to do a food drop uh somewhere in the middle or you just carry like an absurd amount of food or you just move very quickly. Um, I would love to go back and do that. But again, like these tri- the, tr- the trailheads are super remote. It's like driving for hours just out of the cities to get to them. Like there's nothing around. There's no public transportation to get to them. It's, it's a, there's a Southwest, the South Coast track, I think it is, uh, is also in uh, Tasmania. And I believe, I didn't do that one, but I believe it's one where you take a bush plane and they fly you to the end of it, and then you hike back. And I think you can also connect that with, the, you can hike in via the Western Arthurs to get to that. I don't know. It's just there's so much to do down there. I mean, you could easily spend a month or more hiking around Tasmania and still have a ton of stuff to do down there. I can hear our East Coast listeners right now saying, well, that's no Appalachian Trail. That's uh <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of access to the Appalachian trail. That's why it make, that's what makes it such a great trail. Yeah. You know, it's uh that was one of the challenges that I, I found in Tasmania. I was, I was like, how do I get to these places? Like, and I, I ended up just having to rent a car because I was like, I guess this is the only way to get anywhere is to have your own transportation or to pay, you know, hundreds of dollars that be picked up and dropped off. But at that point you might as well just get your own car. And then do you just park the rental car at the trailhead and, and is it an out and back hike or how does that uh, work? Yeah, the Western Arthurs, you can actually make it into a loop. Um, also right there is the Mount Anne circuit, which is another great hike in Tasmania. Okay. A lot of people just do Mount Anne, but you can make it into a circuit. Uh, that's also great. Um, yeah, otherwise, hitchhiking in Tasmania is relatively easy. I don't know. I, I hitchhike everywhere. Uh, I mean, not really this year, but before. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Tasmania, hitchhiking is fairly easy to get around it's not unheard of you know it's, it's not like people are like what are you doing um so I, I got i got pretty much all around the the uh the island hitchhiking but then when i was kind of on a time crunch is when i rented the car got it got it all right hey look we're gonna take another quick break when we come back we're gonna talk a little bit about uh your continental divide trail uh excursion all right so, all right Rest up for that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm Lael Wilcox. I'm an ultra-endurance cyclist, and you're listening to the John Freaking Year Pod. 
Welcome back. So Mac, I wanted to get to um, a, a trail that I have not spent a lot of time talking about with other um, guests on the pod, and that is the Continental Divide Trail. And we've done a lot of talking about the AT. We've done a lot of talking about the PCT on this, on this pod, but uh, not a whole lot on the CDT. And I've often heard that it, you know, it's 3,100 miles, but a lot of that uh, had not been actually finished, a finished trail, a cohesive trail, and that uh, hikers of the CDT had to spend a lot of time kind of blazing their own trail. Is that, is that, was that your experience? Uh, so I did the CDT in 2017, and there were definitely some sections where you were just walking, you know, just big open desert spaces, and you could kind of see like a sign up ahead, and there wasn't necessarily a defined trail beneath you, but it I don't think it's the big, scary, you know, completely lost, just find your way through the wilderness trail that a lot of people imagine it is. Um, I'm sure it was at one point, but the CDTC has made a big push to get the trail blazed and to uh, define the trail, you know, a lot more. I mean, there's still definitely sections where, you know, not everybody's going to take the same route kind of thing. A lot of people describe the CDT as a choose your own adventure trail because there's so many different alternates and so many different routes that you can take in certain areas. So like the official mileage of the CDT is, 3,100 miles, give or take, but I think very few people actually end up hiking even 3,000 miles or more because there are so many different alternates on the CDT. And some of those alternates are very uh, compelling alternates. Like there's very little reason to not hike the alternate unless you just really want to stay true to the official quote unquote CDT. But it's a, it's definitely different than, than the PCT where there is much more a defined trail and everybody is following that same trail for the entirety of the trail with the exception of maybe a snow year. Mm -hmm. So you hiked the PCT in 2013 and that was uh, give or take 2,600 miles. And then four years later you say, Hey, what the heck let's add another 400 miles onto this, this thing, another 500 miles and let's do the CDT. What was the motivation behind doing the CDT? Uh, well, really it was, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I kind of accepted that like hiking was a part of my life and, and that, uh, the CDT was probably the next, you know, logical thing for me to go and hike. And I had two friends, good friends from the PCT who had hiked the CDT in 2015. And I, I said, I, I can't let you guys be cooler than me. I have to go and hike the CDT as well to put us all back on a level playing field. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of kind of what what brought it about i'd you know worked for a couple of years and saved up some more money and needed something else to to stretch that money as long as i could make it stretch so the cdt seemed like a reasonable thing for me to go and do hey i apologize i forgot to ask at the beginning of the episode is is mac your trail name or do you have an, a different trail name mac is my trail name okay very good i want to yeah. make sure that we're following protocol here on the pod we only go by by trail names here oh no yeah that's fine mac and again like Mac ended up being my trail name as a result of me not having met a lot of people on the PCT in 2013. But now that it's kind of become, you know, a regular persona as well, a name that I just go by and 
day-to-day life sometimes it's, it's mm. nice that it's not you know like booger finger or something you know <laughs> yeah. that would be unfortunate yeah hey your two buddies that had done the cdt before you what were their trail names you want to give a shout out to them yeah their trail names are uh, appa which uh for anybody that doesn't i mean i guess if you know you know what Appa's from and then uh moist which so I'm, a, I'm on the i'm on the outs what is what is appa no appa's from avatar the last airbender oh yeah okay it's on netflix if uh if you want to invest some some time into <laughs> to watch it i'll be dialing in i'll, I'll, I'll take a look <laughs> figure out what this op is all about it's Very a fly, it's a flying sky bison no oh, that would be helpful on the trail yeah yeah so the cdt goes through it starts at the mexican border and goes to the canadian border similar to the pct yep. but it is more uh uh, in the center of the country and kind of follows the obviously continental divide through up through uh was it new mexico colorado wyoming idaho and montana yeah idaho is kind of like uh it's always kind of weird it kind of skirt it's in idaho very little and then kind of skirts the idaho montana border for a while and then veers into montana but yeah technically uh those five states mm-hmm. idaho gets left out a lot of times though yeah. And what, uh, did you hike this alone or were you, did you have some buddies with you? So actually, actually my, my two buddies who had hiked it in 15 came back and hiked it with me at 17. Oh, nice. Good. Yeah. So, uh, I was with them for the majority of the trail. We kind of were on and off hiking with each other for some of it. And then one of them left and then came back again a couple hundred miles later. But yeah, for the most part, I was, I was hiking it with them. Okay. And what time of the year did you go and how long did it take you? Uh, that one, we left the end of April and it took us around five months, five months. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you the question. Did you finish it? Uh, yeah. yeah? Uh, yeah. No, no qualified answer here. Just a well, straight. Yes. The qualified answer is, uh, <laughs> well, we finished at, we couldn't go to the official Northern terminus because of fires in, uh, Northern Montana and Southern Canada. Um, so we, we finished at the alternate terminus. Um, and then, you know, it's like, yeah, we, we finished the CDT, but it's, uh, you know, everybody's CDT hike is different as far as like yep. what, what miles, what routes, what, whatever you hiked. So, you know, yeah, we finished, we finished our CDT, but it's, it's, it's very rare that I would say that two people have hiked the exact same, uh, CDT route. Uh, independent of one another just because like I said there's we, we, we would we would be sitting in our tents at night and be looking at the map and being saying all right you guys find any shortcuts for tomorrow <laughs> you know because a lot of it's walking on like forest roads or uh, you know just like kind of these backcountry areas where you can you know kind of find your own way sometimes so we do stuff like that we you know took all it's you know it's like I said it's a choose your own adventure trail Okay. And it's gotten, it's gotten kind of silly. Like there are some, some alternate routes now, quote unquote, alternate routes that people have invented and are taking that cut off like hundreds of miles of the trail. And it's like, you walk this road for a hundred and it's like, it's gotten kind of silly at, it's, at some points, but it's, you know, whatever, you know, do whatever makes you happy. <laughs> I'm not sure hiking on a road for hundreds of miles would be my idea of adventure. No, no, it's roads are dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And like we did for the, the PCT, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pin you down and try and get you to tell us uh, your favorite section of the CDT and your least favorite. 
Well, the, the CDT is great because kind of each state has its own, like, just incredible section of trails. So, I mean, it's really hard. Maybe the, the Wind River Range in Wyoming is my favorite. And I only say that because it's the one place I've been back to since uh, hiking the CDT. Uh, I'm sure Glacier National Park is amazing, but the whole time we were hiking through Glacier, we were hiking through dense smoke because of all of the fires. So mm -hmm. we really didn't get to take full advantage. Um, but then close second is the San Juans in Southern Colorado, uh, some amazing mountains. And then the Gila National Forest in New Mexico, which is an alternate, but it's mm -hmm. one of those alternates that everybody takes just because it's so scenic, so nice. Um, yeah, those those three. It, it's hard to say. There's some really nice sections of the CDT. Yeah, one of our previous guests, and I'm trying to remember who it was. It may have been Brendan Leonard uh, talked to us a little bit about the Wind River Range, and I did not realize that that was on the CDT. But from from his description, Wind River was was pretty spectacular. Wind River is incredible. It's it's uh, it's very similar to the Sierra in the sense that it's just like you know massive remote mountain range with big valleys awesome ridges uh you know snow granite like peaks it's alpine lakes it's it's beautiful it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely more remote than uh than the sierra it's not as big but um yeah the the winds are great there's grizzly bears there's uh yeah i i mean i'd love to go back to the winds there's a a high route through the winds that I'd like, I'd like to go back and do. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's high on the list. There's a lot of places. This is why I can't hike the AT, you know, I got to go do more things in the winds, you know, it's, it's just. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, don't, you, you expressed your opinion on the AT. It's all right. It's all right. Accepted. It's okay. <laughs> all right. How about least, least favorite section of the CDT? Oh man. I can tell you what a lot of people would probably say the the Great Divide Basin, which is just south of the winds in Wyoming, and it's basically just like you're hiking through, like I don't even know. It's just super dry, flat grasslands uh, on like dirt roads for hundreds of miles. Uh, I actually kind of liked it just because it was so different from everything else. So. Um, but I'd say generally that's probably most people's least favorite section of the trail. Mm -hmm. Uh, my least favorite section of the CDT was probably, I get probably the everywhere from Yellowstone North into like, you follow, like you follow the Montana, Idaho border for a while and it's just like up and down and not very scenic and there's thunderstorms and, uh, the Idaho, Montana border walking is probably my least favorite section of the CDT, especially after coming off of the winds and coming through Yellowstone. And then you're just like doing this pointless up and down. Like, where am I? Why am I here? Yeah. Right. Right. Hey, have you ever heard of a trail? I think it's in Utah called the Hey Duke trail. Yeah. I was going to do the Hey Duke this year, actually. Really? And, uh, yeah. And then I was thinking about it for a while. Like, I was, I was planning, but then like, I was like, I don't know, like COVID and everything, like, cause I expect to have to like hitch a lot and like, you know, rely on other people. And I was just like, I don't think logistically it's the best year to be out there. So it's on my list for next year though. We'll see. Yeah. I watched the documentary figuring it out on the Hey Duke trail 
Mm-hmm. And that seems like it's uh, pretty remote and you're kind of, you know, there's no clearly marked path. I think it's kind of a series of trails that have been arbitrarily kind of linked together by the person who kind of mapped it out. Yeah, no, I have, I have some friends that have done it and everybody has nothing but good things to say about it. It sounds awesome. I'm, okay. All right. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for that one. Very good. Hey, can I, can I have you promise to come back on the pod and, and talk about the Hey Duke trail after you've done it? Yeah, no, I mean, it'll give me more incentive to do it now that I have made a public declaration that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go on hiking. All right. Hey, before we wrap things up here, uh, you give me uh, your top three pet peeves from uh, through hikers on the trail, things that you see or, or hear about that you're like, Oh, they should not be doing that. Oh God. Not packing out your toilet paper. Okay. Is one please everybody pack out your toilet paper everywhere all the time. <laughs> um, uh, also, I guess just, uh, not just any, all, I mean, I feel like it's so similar, but just like anything, leave no trace. Like people, I'm like, like leave, leave it better than you found it. Doesn't, it, it's like, I don't know. I, I destroy so many like fire rings and campsites and just like everything. And I'm just like, you know, it, and it's one thing if you're at a front country campsite and you're like, oh, whatever, like these people don't know. But like in the back country, I'm always like, if you're out here, like you should know better. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I did the Sierra High Route this summer and a lot of it's off trail, just like whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd be hiking in just these remote areas and I'd come across just like this firing at 11,000 feet. I'm like, well, what is this doing here? Like, there's like, so um, I guess that's another one. Also, uh, uh, people who don't yield for uphill hikers are another one. Uh, yield for uphill hikers. If you're hiking uphill, you have the right of way. Don't get out of people's way unless you're using it as an excuse to take a break. But when I'm hiking uphill, I'm like on a mission. Like I'm just like head down, get to the top of the climb, not stopping to talk to you. Like I will say, but it's like, you know, Yield to uphill hikers. That's that's my that's my last one. Yeah, I'll share a little secret with our listeners. It doesn't matter if I'm going uphill or downhill. If I encounter somebody else, I stand aside to uh, use it as an excuse to take a break. Yeah, which is fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey Mac, you know where we are? Oh God, are we at? We are, we at- are at that time of the episode where I turn to you and say, "Hey, what's your pro tip inside of the week?" God, I've already given up so many, I feel like. <laughs> Do you hold anything back in reserve? Oh, man. Um, I guess pack out your toilet paper isn't really a pro tip. I'm very big on the toilet paper thing. Um, yeah, well, we pack out your about- toilet paper, use the, the, the wet wipes. That's a, you know, I, I, I sense a theme here. Use what, I'm, I'm very poop-oriented. Uh, don't throw the wet wipes into, uh, into privies also, by the way. Um, let's see. Pro tip of the week. Sure. I don't know. Set your expectations low. Did I already say that? <laughs> I did, I feel like. You may have mentioned that. Um, I don't know. Be uh, always fill up on water when you have the opportunity to fill up on water. <laughs> don't wait for the next water source because it might not be there. And it's going to be terrible if it's not. How's that? That's that's good. That's good. Way to pull one out of the hat yeah. there. Coming coming uh, out of the Grand Canyon just recently, it's uh, I can really 
speak to the truth of that. Don't stop your fall with a, a water container and a cactus. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't do that. That's, that's bad news bears. I love, I love the, the solution you found though, in using the, uh, the, the Ziploc bags and your, your dry bag for your sleeping bag. That's uh, ingenious. Yeah. Maybe that's a pro tip, like carry a little bit of first aid and like some gear repair stuff with you. Like, you know, it's, it's light, it's not going to kill you. And if you end up needing it, like it's going to serve way more benefit than, you know, any extra weight would have, you know, made you uncomfortable. So, you know, don't Very be scared good. of, don't be scared of the, the ounces or the grams. Nice. Don't be afraid of the ounces or the grams. Very good. All right. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 44 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Mac and I want to thank him for joining us this week. Mac, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find out updates on your latest adventures and what is next for Mac? Oh, uh, you can find me at halfwayanywhere.com. Halfway anywhere on Instagram is usually where I hang out. Uh, next big adventures i don't know you know winter setting in uh got a lot of catching up to do as far as writing but i did just get a permit to raft the colorado river through the grand canyon next december so uh there's definitely going to be some things happening between now and then but that's that's a new and exciting development um and possibly great divide trail next year if i'm allowed into canada we'll uh we'll see and hey duke i don't know so many things wow so many things. If you're allowed into Canada, is there like an outstanding warrant or? Uh... I don't know, just COVID, everything. You oh, know? Okay, all right. I don't know all what right. this is in I... the world. I, I take nothing for granted anymore, you know? <laughs> if, if there was a backstory there, I was going to take another side trail before we ended this to hear no. about, you know, why you weren't allowed in Canada. No, not yet. Okay. All right. Hey, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Right, Mac? That's right. Yeah. Very Brace good. The suck. <laughs> That's a wrap from the John Freaking Muir studio. Any final thoughts, Mac? Pack out your toilet paper. <laughs> Pack out. Pack it out. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Beep, beep, beep.